Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better because God loves you and God has a plan for you and God wants to transform your life and he's told us everything you need to know about him and life in general in this book, The Bible, The User's Manual of Life. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. put his people in the culture to influence it, to make a difference. God is not calling us as believers to isolate, but rather to infiltrate, to influence. Therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. You know, I think it's safe to say that we can assume certain things about all people, no matter who they are, no matter how old they are or young they are, if they're men, if they're women, where they live. These things are true of every person. Number one, everyone, deep down inside, they're empty. Why is that? Well, the Bible actually says that God made his creation, that's us, subject to emptiness. You might say that we're sort of born with a hole in our heart. In fact, the Bible says God has said eternity in our hearts. We're born with this sense that there's more to life than what we're experiencing now. Everyone is empty. I'm talking about the guy cruising down the boulevard in the brand new Bentley. I'm talking about the movie star. I'm talking about the person no one has ever heard of. I'm talking about the intellectual. I'm talking about whoever, wherever. Everyone is empty deep down inside. Number two, everyone's lonely. It's a deep loneliness inside of us. And I think that's really, when you get down to it, a loneliness for God himself. That's why when people get married and even when they have children, they think that's going to fill the void in their life and it doesn't. You know, when you're single, you say, oh man, if I was married, I'd be happy. And then you get married and you'd say, oh man, if we just had children, I'd be happy. And you have children. And you'd say, if we could just get rid of these children, I'd be happy. And maybe I married the wrong person. If I married another person, I'd be happy. And on it goes, there's this loneliness really for God himself. Number three, everyone is guilty. We have a sense that when we do something wrong, well, it's wrong. God's built that into us. It's sort of like the fire alarm, you know. I don't know about you, but in my house, I have a smoke alarm. It always goes off at three o'clock in the morning. And usually it's because it needs a battery, never because it's smoke. Why is it always three in the morning, not three in the afternoon? But anyway, it's very sensitized. And God gives us a conscience. Now, we can harden our conscience, but we're born with a conscience, and we know that we're guilty. We feel guilt because we're guilty because we've all sinned. Here's another thing that's true of every person. Everyone is afraid to die. 
There's a universal fear of death. We may laugh at death, we may make jokes about death, or we may never talk about death, but deep down inside, we're aware of our mortality, and we're aware that one day this life will come to an end. Everyone is empty, everyone is lonely, everyone is guilty, and everyone is afraid to die. But here's the good news. God is a solution to all of those things. First of all, Christ can fill the void in a person's life when he himself comes and takes residence inside of them. Christ can be that forever friend that will never leave you or forsake you, as he himself said. And wherever you go in life, you know you're not alone. You know that God is with you. And Christ, of course, can forgive the sin that produces the guilt. So you get to the real issue instead of the mere symptom. And finally, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know that you will live forever. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believes in me shall never die. Yeah, that's what we know about everyone, and we have the answer. We've got to get the gospel to people, and we need to get on with this. Not hesitate, not procrastinate, but engage people. Listen, the good news is only good if it gets there on time. I remember the first time that I had the opportunity to pray with someone to accept Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you, I was not prepared for success. In fact, I was prepared for failure. I was just a kid, about 17 years old, heard the pastor say that we should go into all the world and share the gospel and we should engage even strangers with the message of Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh man, I don't know if I could do that. But one day I decided to try. I was armed with a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. Looked very much like this one. And I was so young in my faith that I hadn't even memorized the contents of it yet. So I was walking along the beach down in Newport Beach, California, and uh, I saw a lady sitting on the beach, and she was about the age of my mom, and I thought, well, maybe she'll take pity on me, you know? So I walked up, and, and I started to talk to her, and, you know, my voice started shaking. You know when you get nervous and your voice shakes and you can't control it. That was me that day. I was like, hi, how are you? And she says, I'm fine. Can I like talk to you just a little bit? Remember, I'm a teenager. I have hair hanging on my eyes. Use your imagination. By the way, I used to have an amazing wave of blonde hair. I do this all the time. Now the wave is gone and all I have left is just beach. It's kind of sad. So there I was on the beach, speaking of beaches, and I asked her if I could talk to her. She said, go ahead. I said, I want to talk to you about Jesus. She said, go ahead. I literally started reading the little booklet. Okay, um, the four spiritual laws, copyright 1964. Uh, anyway, law one, man is sinful. Law two, and I went through the booklet. And as I'm reading through the booklet, I was thinking, I really want this to be over with. I'm so embarrassed, and I know this isn't going to work. I'm almost done. I'm thinking, oh, this is just a train wreck. Why did I even do this? But I got to finish now. And she's just listening patiently. I really didn't even want to make eye contact with her. And at the end, there was a little question in the booklet I was holding that said, is there any good reason why you should not accept Jesus Christ right now? So I read that, and I said, is there any good reason why you should not accept Jesus Christ right now? And I realized that was a question. I looked up at her and she said, no. I said, no? Does that mean you want to accept Jesus Christ right now? And she said, yes, I do. I thought, oh, no. 
I hadn't planned for success. And so, in the most reverent tone I could muster, I said, let's just bow our head for a word of prayer. Saw the preacher do that, right? So she closes her eyes, and I'm frantically searching this booklet, like, what do I do now? And I found a little prayer. And I said, just pray this prayer after me. And so I prayed the prayer. She prayed it out loud. Listen, to show you how small my faith was still. Uh, even as I'm praying the prayer, I'm thinking, this isn't going to work. But you know what? At the end of the prayer, she said, something just happened to me. And I said, yeah, something happened to me too. Here's what I discovered. I discovered that God could use a nobody to reach somebody else. I mean, I didn't have any great gifts. I just was a young kid who heard that I was supposed to go share my faith. I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't raised in a preacher's home. I just started reading the Bible for myself, but I realized God could use me. And listen, God can use you too. We overcomplicate this thing called evangelism. We get all uptight about it and get all tied up in knots over it. And I think we need to just realize that we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. So I want to encourage you to look for an opportunity to share your faith because you might find a person you would think would never respond, would indeed respond and put their faith in Jesus. That'll be the greatest day of their life. And you know what? It'll be one of the greatest days of yours as well. Let's look at a text together. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. If you don't know where that is, it's right after Acts chapter 15. This is a story of Paul and Silas in a Roman dungeon. And why were Paul and Silas put in prison? Because they preached the gospel. And they were put under the control of a Roman guard that was especially cruel. We read in Acts 16 verse 23, they were severely beaten. And they were thrown into prison and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So he took no chances but put them into the inner dungeon and he clapped their feet in the stocks. But around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Did you get that? They've been beaten. They've been whipped. They've had their legs fastened in stocks, spread apart to cause excruciating pain, put in the most unsanitary, horrific environment imaginable. And at midnight, Paul and Silas started singing praises to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And by the way, this phrase, others were listening, could be translated, they listened with pleasure. You ever hear a song on the radio and you listen with pleasure? This is my favorite song. You turn it up. Or a worship song. Oh, I love that. I love that. I want to hear that again. They were listening with pleasure. I don't know if Paul and Silas were doing like a little two-part harmony, you know. Probably not. <laughs> Just that they were singing songs to God at midnight. And uh, a mighty earthquake comes. Shakes the foundations of the prison. The walls come crashing down. All the prisons are, prisoners are free. The Roman soldiers see what's happening. He pulls out his sword, his short sword, and he's ready to pierce it into his body because the penalty for losing a prisoner was death. He thought, I might as well just kill myself right now. He's ready to thrust his sword into himself. And Paul stops him and says, stop, don't kill yourself. We're still here. How easily Paul could have said, go ahead and kill yourself, you dog. After the way you treated us, no, Saul didn't say that, or Paul didn't say that, because Paul used to be Saul. 
And Saul of Tarsus was one of the most violent men who ever lived. He hunted Christians for sport. He enjoyed torturing them and executing them. So he knew what cruelty was all about. And he thought, hey, if God could reach a cruel guy like me, he can reach a cruel guy like that. Don't kill yourself, he said. We're still here. And I love what happens next in the story. Acts 16, verse 30. So this hardened jailer could not believe his ears or his eyes. He was so moved by this and the powerful testimony of Paul and Silas rejoicing before this, he was ready to believe there right on the spot. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Guess what just happened? They earned the right to preach the gospel by the way that they lived. And that's what we need to do. We need to earn the right to get the audience. We need to earn the right to start the conversation. But here's the key. Once you've earned the right, make sure you have that conversation. Because sometimes we just drop the ball here. We like live the life where godly people were a fantastic representative of Jesus and someone asks us, so what, what's, what's, what is it about you? Well, I just believe in good, wholesome family values. Really? That's lame. You believe in the Bible and Jesus Christ has come and changed your life and that's why you have this new value system. Don't chalk it up to family values. Tell them what you really believe. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. that good example opened the door. And this is a reminder that we are called to go preach the gospel. And I know you choke on the word preach because you think the word preach means yell, right? When you think of preach, preach! Guess what? You can preach quietly. Preaching just means proclaim the gospel. You know, when you talk to somebody, you don't have to yell at them. It's not like you're a preacher in a stadium Hello, how are you today? Good to see you. God bless. What are you doing? Just talk to him. Hey, how's it going? Engage him in conversation. Once we've earned the right to share our faith, we have to verbalize our faith. Romans 10 asks the question, how will they hear unless someone tells them? That's why this series is called Tell Someone. Then in 1 Corinthians 1.21 it says, since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was pleased, listen, to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Not through foolish preaching, but the foolishness of the message preached. I do not know why God chooses to use someone as flawed as me. I don't know why God chooses to primarily reach this world through verbal communication. 
God chose to reach people through people. Listen, the primary way God chooses to reach other people is through people like you and specifically through the verbalization of the gospel. He wants us to tell someone. Let's say you were a brilliant scientist who somehow got cancer. So you dedicated your time and your efforts and your considerable intellect to finding a cure. And after years of study and work and experiments and so forth, you found a cure. A single pill that could be taken at one time and cancer would go away almost immediately. Oh, I wish someone would find that cure. But how awesome would that be? Now let's just say you were that person, you found the cure to cancer, all a person has to do is take this pill, what would you do? Well, I hope you would shout it from the rooftops. What would you say? Well, I'm not really comfortable talking to strangers. Yeah, that may be, but this is kind of a big deal. So can you kind of get over yourself and your discomfort and actually share this good news with other people? Listen, folks, we have something that's even better than the cure for cancer. We have the cure for death. We have the only hope through Jesus Christ. We must tell others. We've already talked about the who should share the gospel and who we should share it with and where we should share it. When should we share the gospel? Short answer, whenever, whenever. I wish I could tell you that God wakes me up every morning and speaks to me audibly. When I see preachers say, God spoke to me audibly, I don't believe him. Well, he doesn't speak to me audibly every day. Good morning, Greg. Your mission, should you decide to accept it? <laughs> Cue the mission impossible thing. Dun, 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 dun. You're going to go today to a gas station at 1102. And there you will find a man named Josh Smith pumping gas. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to engage Josh with the gospel. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> you know, That's not how God speaks to me. Usually I get my car and I'm driving. All of a sudden a little light goes on. They call it an idiot light. Means I'm low in fuel. Oh, I think I'll get gas. So I drive over to the gas station. No audible voices. I'm just pumping gas, waiting. There's some guy pumping gas in his car. See, how's it going? That's going good. How's it going with you? Oh, by the way, his name is Josh. See, a lot of times I find I just walk into these things. We call them coincidences, but I call them providence. I believe that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. That's what the Bible says. So when you get up in the morning, you say, Lord, guide my steps and lead me. I want to be ready to share the gospel. We know that Jesus has called us to go into all the world to preach the gospel. We don't do a great job of that in most cases. One of the reasons we give, or maybe I should say excuses, well, what if uh, I share the gospel with someone and they reject what I'm saying? Well, that's always an option, and to be candid with you, that will happen. But maybe one of our real concerns is, what if I share the gospel with somebody and they want to accept Christ? See, I think sometimes our greater fear is one of success and it is a failure. Because if you share Jesus Christ with someone and they want to believe in him, now you are there to follow up on them and help them to grow in their faith and you need to be an example for them and I think a lot of times we don't like that because that means they're going to have to be a well good example but that's part 
of sharing the gospel. In a way, you need to earn the right to be heard. First, you live it, and then that opens the door for you to share it. You know, it's interesting that Jesus said, we are to be both salt and light in the world. What does that mean? Well, in the first century, the people Jesus gave that statement to originally, the salt was used as a preservative. They would rub it into meat to preserve it. So we as Christians are here to stop the spread of evil in the culture. But there was another use of salt, and that, of course, is to stimulate thirst. Sort of like when you go in the movie theater and you buy those giant bags of popcorn. By the way, why do those have to be so big? And then you're thirsty, they're probably over-salted, and, you know, the Cokes are like the size of a barrel. It's ridiculous, but salt stimulates thirst. And I think of a man or a woman is really walking with God, their very lifestyle will stimulate thirst in others. And the best question an unbeliever can ask you is, what makes you different? Why are you happy? What is this joy that I see in you? And then that opens the door for you to share your faith. So sometimes people say, well, I think I want to just be a good example. And I believe in lifestyle evangelism, not in confronting people with the gospel. Well, actually, the Bible tells us where to do both. We are to be a good example and we are to share our faith. That's not one or the other. It's both and. You know, Billy Graham once said, we are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is heeding. We are the sermons the world is needing. You know, it's been said that Christians are walking epistles written by God and read by men. Listen, you're the only Bible some people are ever going to see. So what kind of example are you? Listen to this. Some people are gonna actually develop their whole opinion of God based on you as representative. You say, well, that's too much pressure. Hey, sorry, deal with it. God has called us to be his examples in this very dark world. But listen to this. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That means we need to proclaim the good news. Of course, that's what gospel means. You know, when I was a kid, I used to be a paper boy. I had a really cool bike, by the way. It was a Schwinn Stingray, banana seat, small front tire, big slick tire on the back. And best of all, I had a stick shift on my bicycle. It was sort of a forerunner to my Harley. Well, anyway, I'd get on my little Schwinn Stingray bicycle with the stick shift, put my bags on and load them with papers and cruise to the neighborhoods and throw those papers under front lawns, under porches. Yeah, I got pretty good with a little sideways swipe, clearing the heads, that sort of thing. But here was the thing. I was a paper boy. My job was to deliver the news. My job was not to write the news. My job was not to make the news. My job was to deliver the news. The same is true for us. We're just delivery boys and girls. Our job is to bring the gospel to people. I don't need to add to it. I don't need to take away from it. I certainly should never edit it. I need to give the whole gospel to as many people as I possibly can. Who do I take that gospel message to? Well, Jesus said, whosoever will believe, let him believe in me. So whosoever qualifies. So who would that include? Basically, everybody. The Bible also says that we are to be instant in season and out of season. As another translation puts it, be on duty at all times. So I'm to take the gospel to whosoever, whenever. But where should I do it? 
Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So that means wherever. I'm to go to whosoever, whenever, wherever I can. That's the message he's called us to bring. That's the good news this culture needs to hear. So the mission is clear. We're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to share the good news anytime, anywhere. So go to your family, go to your neighborhood, go to your workplace, go to your sphere of influence, go and tell someone. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I I think so. I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, Maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You could pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you, at no charge, something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, Congratulations, and welcome to the family of God. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods, who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. 
Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 in the morning and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. 